Today on Rooted Daily, we talk about why Christians are to pursue peace. Welcome to Rooted Daily, the podcast where in 10 minutes or less each day, we root you in the Bible so you can grow with God. I'm Brandon Levy, and today we're talking about the incredible form of peace that God calls us to. And it often happens in Bible studies, and even fairly mature Bible studies, where I'm teaching and people stumble on this idea. And it always kind of takes me by surprise. You know, peace is what this whole book boils down to. So how can we misunderstand biblical peace and still be reading out of this book? I mean, the Bible is all about peace. Philippians 4, 7 says that Christians can have the peace of God that transcends all understanding, inner peace that allows us to cope with everything we struggle with in life. And without that peace, what hope do we have? But Christians don't just have an inner peace. We have to have an outer peace as well. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Christians must understand and pursue biblical peace. But I think we struggle with this idea because what the Bible calls peace is so different from what the world calls peace. In the world, peace is always conditional. Two opposing actors work against each other to extract as many concessions as possible from the other. You know, at the end of a war, uh, you'll rarely see the two parties coming together, the two armies coming together, putting down their guns and sitting down for a feast together where they, they eat and enjoy each other's company. No, even in the best of circumstances, they bitterly try to preserve whatever dignity and honor they can. It takes a while for those wounds to heal. They trade in the real fighting for a war of words. And usually even what we call diplomacy is really just the maneuverings of actors who want to take advantage of each other. That's the world's peace. And it bears little resemblance to biblical peace. Biblical peace is not about negotiation. It does not require diplomacy. It is absolute. And that absolutism is what I think makes God's peace so difficult for us who are living in the world to understand. So let's look at some examples throughout scripture that, that really illustrates this for us. I, I want to start with maybe the most dramatic example that I can find. That Paul writes about biblical peace in Romans chapter 12 and, and chapter 13. In Romans chapter 12, Paul writes about the Christian response to evil, writing, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, give him something to eat. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, that's a good and fairly straightforward lesson. It might be hard to apply, but it's pretty straightforward, a lesson on forgiveness. God is the judge, and his judgment is coming. But our job is to make peace. But then we see this incredible application of this lesson in the next chapter. It starts out, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, even 
the government authorities, who, who Paul knows very well, are viciously hurting Christians, and he knows that because he used to be one. We have to make peace with them too. Christ's Sermon on the Mount, recorded in Matthew chapter 5, tells us why. It's said there that Jesus is addressing murder, and he's preaching, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which was a term of, of contempt, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. So Jesus said, the world says, do not murder. That's what you've been told in the past. That's the world's equivalent of peace. Don't hurt other people. But Jesus says that's not enough anymore for him. Don't build up anger against other people. Don't show them contempt. Anger, the opposite of peace, is the same as murder in the eyes of God. If we refuse to reconcile with people, we are as despicable as a murderer to Jesus. And our settlements are not to be fair. They're to be quick. They're to be absolute. Don't wait for someone to seek forgiveness. Simply forgive. You don't have to have two people to reconcile, according to the Bible, but you need two people to stay at war. Jesus says, don't seek an apology or concessions. Just forgive unconditionally. Even more vividly, Jesus continues in this sermon with how we should react to people who are actively trying to hurt us. Not just people who've hurt us in the past, but people who are hurting us right here, right now. He says in verse 38, you have heard that it said eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, Go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You know, we probably know this passage pretty well. It's from the popular expression, turn the other cheek. But I think one thing that we often neglect or overlook here is when this is taking place. Jesus is not talking about forgiveness after the fact. He's not talking about what to do when the person who's been hurting you comes and shows remorse and promises that they're going to change, so they're not going to continue hurting you anymore in the future. This isn't after that remorse is shown. He's not talking about the end of the war when your side has won and the other side is just coming to beg for mercy. Jesus is talking about in the moment peace while the other people are still attacking you. In a battle, that would be like all the soldiers being commanded to put down their guns and try to go over and hug the other side, not waiting for a ceasefire to be called. And Jesus says that his followers do not wait for the other side to agree to peace. We just declare it. We say to the worst of our enemies that we will not continue to be angry towards them, to show them contempt. If they're slapping us on one cheek, we put down our fists and we turn sides. If they were stealing from us, we give them more than what they were looking for in the first place. We declare peace for our enemies. Now, Christians should protect themselves. The Bible makes it clear 
that we can avoid persecution. Paul did it. He would flee um, in cases where he knew persecution was coming. But when persecution does come, we should accept it. And if and when it comes, we should make peace in the process. Jesus says peace does not come after the fact, but right here and right now. You can do it in these 10 minutes. Simply resolve to make peace. No one else has to be around. Your enemy doesn't have to be present. Simply resolve to make peace. And Jesus makes no bones about it that this is going to hurt. And in this case, it's going to hurt physically and financially. We will hurt right now if we decide to make peace against an enemy that's perfectly content to keep fighting. But blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God. Think for just a moment about Christ on the cross. I saw a bumper sticker that said that that Jesus would still be alive if he had a gun. Let's be clear. Jesus is alive, and he always had so much more than a gun. He could have summoned the full power of God against the wickedness of the world, not only stopping his own crucifixion, but punishing all of mankind for our sins right then and there. Jesus chose peace, though. In the moment while the world was mocking him, beating him, hanging him, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is biblical peace. Christ humbled himself when he didn't need to. And that's what he expects from us. Even when we don't feel like we are the ones who need to be humbled. That is how Jesus wants us to pursue peace. Humble ourselves before God and humble ourselves before other people too. That'll do it for this episode of Rooted Daily. And I'm looking forward to sitting down and talking with you next time. Hey, thanks for watching this episode of Rooted Daily. We're praying that you're growing with us as we study the Bible and use God's word as our only foundation. If you appreciate this content and want to make sure that others see it, subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app and hit the share button. Most importantly, if you're ready to take the next step, repent, be baptized, and hand over your life to Jesus, shoot me an email to brandon at rooteddaily.com right now.